I'm Adam Wharton and you're watching Rovers Chat. Hello and welcome back to the Rovers Chat Podcast. It's episode number 27 in a week. That's our Rovers draw 1-1 without a form Huddersfield Town at home. We saw the injury situation firstly clear up with the likes of Enzo Perez returning to the starting lineup and actually having a positive game. But then the injuries mounted up soon after as both Hayden Carter and Harry Pickering were withdrawn through injury. There's still no new incomings on the transfer front. The financial situation is no clearer. But it wouldn't be Rovers otherwise, and we wouldn't have a podcast to speak about and mourn about if it weren't for Rovers. So let's get into it. I'll introduce the co-host first, as always, and we'll get straight into the match action. We'll start off with Mark. Mark, how are we doing? Well, we've stopped the rot, haven't we? So I'm a little bit better, but I wouldn't say I'm uh, on top form, just like us, I think I'd say. Yeah, exactly that. And Mark, how are we doing today? Yeah, I was saying before the pod, you know, we spend a lot of time doing our own things and our own life and we don't get much time to spend uh, to ourselves because we just seem to be talking negative things with Rovers and stuff. It's it's getting a bit much now, isn't it, boys? It is. We need a win to, to pick up the positivity. We'll start off with that Huddersfield game. We'll get straight into it. Rovers draw 1-1 with Huddersfield. Despite going ahead as Adam Morton stole the ball from Jonathan Hogan, strove forward and put it in. Michael Hillick got his eighth goal of the season, was it? And made it level and Rovers just couldn't find their way through. And ultimately, it feels like the case is the same old from Rovers. We had time on the ball. We had a lot of the ball as well, it feels like. But no end product to, to really kill it off and get through. Parked and Rovers still await the first league victory of the new year. Mark, I'll come to you first. Mike gets away with this one after doing the post-match. And was it Aaron on Twitter who said he looked like he was being held hostage when he was doing it? Which kind of sums up the podcast at the moment that... We don't want to come on and have a moan, but there's not much positivity to talk about. Mark, what do you make of the game? Do you think Rovers deserve three points? When I saw that he changed formation, whilst I was pleased in some senses, it did feel that we needed to... Something had to change in terms of the result then. Because once you've changed something like that, you kind of go, well, if this doesn't work, where do we go from here? It felt very un Yundale Thomason like, I suppose. It felt yeah. very workman like. And there was, a, there was a point where I almost messaged and said, you know, we, we look a bit stronger, we look a bit, bit physically better, even just without doing much. And then we have Gallagher free and we have High and free just to win, just to win a ball. I mean, it was a great cross. And all of a sudden, I was transported back to West Brom 1 0. And I thought, oh, no, it's still us. Here we go. It's just too easy. And I, I, it is. I, I don't actually know how you stop that now. That's the problem. No. I think he did everything he could have done. That's it. I was going to bring that up, and it's perfect way on to the next one. Um, Mark, I'm going to come to you about the formation change. Now, we've mentioned about John Dahl, this 4 one that he seemingly stuck with forever. I felt I never felt we changed when I saw it right back three. I was happy because, like Mark said there, it felt like we're actually trying to change it, but it didn't work. Do you think the back three did benefit us? Or do you see anything from Rovers that kind of give you some hope we can cling on to as we go forward? I think it's a bit hard to judge because we're playing Huddersfield, who are also an out-of-form team. But, you know, off the face of it, it looked like it was just a hell of a lot more solid. I thought Hyam looked a little bit more solid. Um, I thought he looked quite happy having one either side of him to kind of help him out yeah. a little bit. Um, I thought it was tactically really good uh, for pairs as well because I thought 
the fact that he then had a little bit more in front of him and it just made it a little bit more solid for him. I thought it's one of those where you're playing a team that's down the bottom at home. You don't want to be negative, but after the run of form, like Mark said, we needed to change something and it needed to be solid. But the trouble is it doesn't matter what formation you play. It doesn't matter how you're playing. If you've got a set piece, you know, you've got to be able to defend it and we can't. So we could have been playing any formation. As long as you get a set piece against us, you're going to get a good chance. And that's what happened. Yeah, we'll go into set pieces in the mailbag as well. There's a question in there we can see coming up. But I just wanted to mention a few of the players that may be featured in that game, different thoughts. We'll start off with Sam Gallagher. So in return to the starting lineup, Mark, do you think he had a decent impact or do you think he maybe let the game pass him by? We appreciate he's come back from an injury, but... You know, what did you make of Gallagher's showing? Yeah, I think, obviously, it was his first game back, wasn't it, really, for a while, his first start, certainly. He he did look a little bit isolated. I would have liked to see him linking up with Smodix a bit more. I think that would have been important. That said, one of my criticisms of Gallagher sometimes is that for a big lad, he doesn't win enough in the air and doesn't win enough flick-ons. I thought he did that, but then there was nobody running off him. Uh, and it was almost becoming predictable at times that he was actually going to win that ball. And Smodix was just nowhere in and around him. And that was his job. He had to be buzzing in and around him in that first half. For me, there was no real goal threat from him, though. But I think some of that was down to the formation. There wasn't enough bodies in and around. It was That is the negative, isn't it? When you're playing five at the back, it can be quite narrow and quite defensive. And you can struggle to get back out. I think once Carter went off, we, that was what we struggled with as well. That, that yeah, mobility yeah. Really to get up the pitch. I think he does that so well as well, doesn't he, Hayden Carter? I think getting the ball out of defence is probably, his, no, I won't say it's his strongest point, but it's a strong point of his game. And yeah. I completely agree. I think we missed that drive forward from defence. I like Dom Hayam. I don't think that's his, his thing. It's probably more Scott Wharton's thing, who we saw, you know, obviously come on. Another one I wanted to mention as well, Mark, is the impact or the lack of impact, maybe, that Sammy Smaddick's had on the game. Now, We've spoke a lot about Smodic's influence when he doesn't score and off the ball, etc. Mm. What do you make of his showing in this game? He cuts a very frustrated figure throughout the game. He, I mean, lots of fans commented on how he just very quick clap and he disappeared down the tunnel. He looked frustrated shall we go with, in the second half in particular. It seems to be a small tweak in the formation where he went wider on the left. He didn't look happy. He wants to be in and around the box. He wants to be... He's our main goal threat and he's obviously frustrated that he wasn't able to be that goal threat. I think... I was disappointed, if I'm honest. I felt it was a little bit bordering on a, a performance that I didn't expect off Smonix. I think he's usually somebody that puts 110% in, somebody that gives his all for the team and it did feel a little bit like a toys out the pram one, which lends to then the rumours where you start looking into well, is there any truth in them? That's where it then goes because you naturally think, well, that's not like yeah. Smodix. He didn't look happy. It's do you like think it, it came down to the fact that, yeah, do you think it came down to the fact that obviously Sam Gallagher's now the the top of the tree, so to speak, when it, in that striking position and Smodix has really enjoyed being there and now he's kind of been pushed back a little bit. Do you think he's frustrated with the fact that tactically now he's been asked to drop deeper? 
I, I don't think so in the first half, though, because he was actually right up there with Sam Gallagher like he has been recently. And if I was Smodix, the way I would have looked at that is, well, thank goodness nobody can mark me out the game now because they've got this big unit that's going to take some of that pressure off me and they, and they can't just leave Sam Gallagher. So I actually looked at the game going, do you know what, this could be better for Smodix. He should get more space. He should get more opportunities. He didn't really make... We didn't make much of that. That's not his fault in the first half. Mm. But second half, when he went wider on the left, he... He just didn't look happy at all. And then he got really frustrated. Yeah, the end. You could tell at the end, couldn't you? We'll finish off and I'll come to you, uh, Mike, as the resident keeping expert. Enzi <laughs> Perry is back in the squad. First time John Dahl's ever dropped a keeper when it's not injury, I believe. What did you yeah. make of his return? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure... I'm not sure whether I was surprised or not when I saw it because there's been so much chat and we've we've had all the scenarios in our head the last few weeks, haven't we, about what was going to happen. Um, mm. I think I think it was a good move to bring pairs in and go to the three at the back with the two wing backs. I think that really helps. You could tell that pairs was asked to kind of. I don't know whether he was asked to, but Perez did it anyway. But he was getting rid of the ball when he was under pressure. So yeah. when he had time to be on the ball, he did quite well. I was quite impressed with him. He moved things around. You could tell he was communicating really well. He was really getting uh, to the guys um, in their ears and stuff at corners. You could just you could see there was a little bit there. But I feel like this could have been quite good man management for this game for JDT. Because I believe he was told, if you're under pressure, get rid. You've got five defenders in front of you. So I just think from that situation, it was good. As far as the performance, he made some really good saves. He was solid. The thing I was actually impressed with the most was in that 90th minute free kick. It went to yeah. deep uh, into the box and he came and collected it through a crowd. And we've all been screaming for a goalkeeper to come and do that once. And he did it at the end of the game as well, which is, you know, when the pressure was on, he came and took mm. the pressure off. So that's the kind of things we need to look at. As far as the goal's concerned, I mean, geez, I've seen some people on Twitter spout some absolute tosh about whether he should have come for that. It's like, oh. he, he, exactly. I mean, it, it was it was just one of those. It was a great header past him. So I can't blame him. Thought he did well. Um, I thought the thing is, is... It's one performance. It's one game. We now need to see him build on this. We need that consistency. I know what I said on Twitter about one swallow doesn't make a summer, and it made a few people laugh, but it's true. You know, it's it's one game. I want to see consistency from him now um, and build on it. Yeah, definitely. If we move on and take a look at the Wrexham game coming up as well, uh, as Hollywood come to Ewood Monday night, BBC Wales, half seven, we will know at kickoff or just after kickoff, who we would face in the fifth round, which I think always adds a bit of an extra spice to it. It's say a big thing comes out away from home or, or whatever. But like we say, Wrexham country will not your normal League Two side. I don't think anyone will doubt saying that. Uh, there's going to be a lot of talking on Twitter before the game. We all know that'll happen. And I imagine there'll be a lot there with the likes of James McLean and Paul Mullen and that playing for them. But a chance for Rovers to get through to the fifth round again. Let's be honest, there could have been worse draws to have. Uh, Mike, I'll come to you first with this game. We'll include the topic as well we were going to discuss about again, but we'll start off with just general thoughts. How do you feel about Monday at Ewell Park? Do you think Rovers can really go out there and kind of give it to Wrexham and kind of make the quality show? Because if we put a full-strength team out, we should have enough to beat them, but you never know with us. 
And I think that's exactly it. You never know with us. I think the thing is, is we're quite positive fans. We, we're quite level-headed um, at times, but we, we tend to try and be positive and I'm really struggling to think about us going into this game and it was it's just another game to just wash away a lower league side. They are going to come at us. They are going to try their best to... Uh, hassle us, pressure us at the back, set pieces they're probably going to take a look at. I'm I'm concerned about this one, let's put it that way. Yeah, I spoke to uh, Nathan Erex and family did a bit for the sportsman the other day and he was kind of saying that he feels if Rovers go full strength that we'll have enough to beat them. He said when they played Coventry, although they won, the likes of Jokers, etc, they've done it. You know, and won the game for Coventry. Mark, can Rovers book the place in the fifth round? What do you think? Well, they can. I'm not as so certain that they will. I think you've got 7,000 fans behind that goal. Uh, as we said in the last pod, everything that teams need to do to beat us, Wrexham can do because it's just about being big and physical. Are we going to concede from a set piece? Yeah, probably. So that means we've got to get two. So I think we will go full strength, but... It's about pressure, isn't it? In some ways, we've not really got anything. I know we've got around, you know, around five players to gain, but in some ways, it feels a little bit no win, doesn't it? It feels like if you get through what you were supposed to do, if we scrape through, that probably doesn't really help us either. Unless we go on with three nil quite comfortably, then I feel like this is a bit of a no win. I mean, you can use all the all the Disney puns you want, can't you? We are playing like a Mickey Mouse team and it does feel a little bit like Lady and the Tramp, this one. But I think we're playing the role of the Tramp. That's the problem. <laughs> Definitely. And it's one that I completely agree, Mark. That's my big worry about this game, that whatever result we get, you're going to have people saying stuff about it, aren't you? And Rovers, I think, have got to go and shut Wrexham up early. I think that's a big thing for me. That's it. If you start getting that crowd, the yeah. 7,000, I get why we've done it. And it should make it for a better game. No one wants an empty ground and, and a crap atmosphere. But you can imagine it. Second half, it's close game. They're bombarding the keeper with balls into the box. And they've got 7,000 people sucking the ball in the net. And Rovers fans, let's be honest, are just going to be thinking, oh, that's happening in a minute. So we're going to get more nervous. It is a recipe for disaster. We, that is exactly what you, you've just said is right. We've got to get that early goal and not just one. I think we've got to get two so that we can go, mm, oh, right, well, when we when we concede one, it doesn't really matter as much. Yeah. You've got to bring them on to us, haven't you? I think that's it. And yeah. Wrexham's weakness is probably out wide as well in terms of the full-back role. So if Rovers can get them on yeah. the counter, the ideal starts well scoring early, but it is in every Rovers game, isn't it? That's what you yeah. feel we need. Uh, Mike, we'll just discuss the topic we're going to cover. Now, we know what we say about the Cup. Normally, Rovers fans love the Cup under John Dahl. There's no doubt that all three Cup campaigns so far that have been completed under John Dahl have been memories in all of them, even you know the Chelsea defeat in the League Cup this time. What do you make of this game in terms of, is it a relief for Rovers? Is it a hassle having this game, especially on the Monday? You know, How do you feel about a Cup game coming up Monday in front of the cameras? Everyone's going to be watching us, I think. I think you'll get a lot tuning in. How are you feeling? Is it a welcome distraction for Rovers or could it be one that you'd rather we were just getting on with the league and trying to get wins on the board? I think as a fan right now, I feel like it's hassle. I feel like it's the kind of game where <clears throat> we're 
we're struggling for form, we're struggling for goals, and if this goes wrong, this could really kill us. Um, I worry then about JDT's future, I worry about the confidence in the team, I don't know who's going to start in goal, defence, midfield, whatever, but... You know, if you if you're playing against a side that's two leagues below you and you can't get a result at home, the you know the writing's on the wall. So I think at this moment in time, because of how Wrexham are playing, because I I'm so worried that they're going to win, I see it's hassle. Now, if we was playing an out of slightly out of form side or a team that wasn't Wrexham that was League Two, I'd be like, oh, brilliant, bring it on. You know, but I think because it's Wrexham, I just got this just got this sinking it's such a rovers thing that we're going to go and lose to them 2-0 or something at home and we're all just going to be miserable as sin and like you say it's on a monday as well so it's not like we've got the rest until the next game you know it's we could have done with yeah I, i'm i think it's hassle We'll move on to a new section of the podcast called Rising Rovers. Now, anyone who follows the Rovers Chat account will know we have a dedicated one to the under-21s. And we thought we'd kind of introduce this on the pod, give people a bit of an insight into, well, one, a team that's actually winning games at the moment, but a bit of an insight into the academy, given everything going on. We're probably going to see more of these lads. Uh, myself and Mark get to quite a few games and can have an insight. So, again, if any questions want to be asked as well in the comments, more than welcome to ask them and we'll kind of feed them into this. Mike, you've seen a bit of the 21s this year. Anyone? We'll start with a bit of general overview on this episode so people can kind of get an insight as to where we're at. Anyone mm. you'd say have really, really stood out in this season so far? I know it's not been the best results-wise, but any players you think are maybe on that cusp of now making the step up? Yeah, it's not been the best results-wise, but that's not unusual for Rovers. I don't think they're too fussed around that, but because what we do, we've spoke about it before, we like to get the best for the, the first-year pros, so the 16-, 17-year-olds go into the 18s, and then 17-, 18-year-olds generally get a, a look in the 21s, don't they, nice and early. So they're too young, really, to be in there, and you, you're pointing out some experienced players. But to be honest, the, the main one's the one who's not here. Uh, Georgie again had another wonderful performance apparently for, for Motherwell. They were raving about him. They said his delivery was really good from fullback. So he, he's the one I think at the moment that's that's, that's looking like he could really come back and, and hit the ground running, which does make it a bit more surprising that we haven't called him back. And I don't know whether that there was a break in the in the deal, whether that w- will have expired now. It seems to you would imagine so because Hills has expired now. Buckley's come back already. So you'd imagine if it was going to happen, it would have done. Uh, and obviously we brought we brought Krasenny in, didn't we? So he's he's the one who's standing out. I think in terms of the ones that are still here, you know, we, we've got some of the youngsters, as in I know they're all youngsters, but even comparatively, you know, you got Tijon that, that's that's getting a walk yeah. in, isn't it? That we got from Rochdale. For me, it's Juru that's really really stood out when I've watched. I think he looks everything that we would want in a right back. He's big, he's strong, he can get up and down the pitch quite comfortably. I've seen him on the ball looking quite good. So, and then generally speaking, I think it's just we've got a lot of lads who just look comfortable. I think we, I think yeah. we saw that with Char- Charlie Weston going right back to pre-season at, at Accrington Stanley. He, he just slotted in like he'd been there all the time. And, and the fact that, I don't know if any of you watched the YouTube um, link that I put out there, but where it gives the insight to the academy. And I know this is slightly off topic, but 
where we are now got this DNA right through the club where people are saying, well, we need to get rid of Thomas and we need to get a manager in who's not going to pass it around and we're not good enough to do this. That isn't happening. This isn't Thomason. That's I mean, yeah, he has decided that, but this is a club decision to play this way. So Thomason goes, the next person that comes in will be doing the same thing because the 18s are doing it, the 16s are doing it, the under-15s are doing it. It is a club DNA thing now to get that ball around the ground and get it moving forward as quick as possible. But in terms of the two, I think Georgie Gent's getting rave reviews over at uh, Motherwell and then uh, Leo Duru for me at Ryback. I think Jay Batty's had a really good month or so as well recently. Yeah. I think he's really come back in. He got a brace in the... Uh, I always forget which game it was. It was a brace in the Reading game. Uh, looked really, really alive in it. Looked, mm. especially playing at left-back, I think he's playing kind of the role you'd expect when he comes through. And I just think, like you said, these 21s are kind of at this stage where... We're at a year we didn't really expect much. Relegation's now gone out of the Premier League too, so I don't think the club mm. values staying up. I think last year we got a bit panicky at one point that we were going to go down and we kind of put a lot of focus into keeping them in with a, with a really good set. Because I think if anyone's not seen the Premier League too, when you get outside the top, I'd say the top half of it, what it was, and then six from the league below, the bottom six or seven were quite poor level teams that have just come up so Rovers valued a lot about being in that top division but now we're not it's kind of a case of give the young lads a go we've seen it with Rory Finneran uh, Reese Doherty who were obviously involved in the first team before both of them uh, even the likes of Malarkey Matthews who's 16, 17 year old are playing we still forget Finneran's 15 at times when you see him in the 21s looking so good he mm. came on against Crystal Palace the other day and looked like a senior player stepping in really the way he knocked it round yeah. him we're seeing a lot of the first team as well now. Ennis is kind of building up some confidence in it. Uh, Mark Andes featured with some pairs involved. So this year's season's been quite tough for the 21s, I think. I think it's been one where when you keep having these older players coming in, you kind of you can't really get a consistent run because we'd have probably seen Tijon play a bit more than he has because he's having to yeah. drop to the 18. So we're at that situation at the moment where the 21s are just in a situation that can't, help because the first team need to get minutes uh, we saw Mowbray very reluctant when he to play the under 21s it was very rare that a player mm. dropped down sorry so uh, yeah just a bit of an insight there like say any questions that come through we'll try and build it as we go along in the weeks but uh, that's where we'll finish the Rising Rovers bit bit of an insight there and as the weeks go on feel free to ask questions Mike should we get into the mailbag yeah, so we've got a few questions here. So the first one I'm going to throw at Mark. So Rob asks, what was your thoughts on Criseni? And do you okay. think he will offer the same level of cover that Hill did? Well, I was a little surprised in the role he played. Because he's a big lad, I wasn't surprised to see him playing, if I'm being honest. I did think he might get a sniff. I thought he would have been the third centre-half, though, and then I started to think about it as I was going to the game. I thought, well, actually, Pickering, when he part, when he's partnered with um, Joe Rankin-Costello, Pickering is that the left-back that just slots in, doesn't he, and we play with a three then, and Joe Rankin-Costello comes forward and goes into the midfield. So Pickering's used to playing almost as a third centre-half anyway. I just felt that pressing his, his, his build and things, it made sense for it to be him, but... You know, effectively, that the back three that as they were to start the game have played together all season with the way that we, you know, we obviously defend with the three. I thought some of the criticisms 
surprised me. I didn't think he stood out as being horrific, and and you would think that by some of the criticism. For me, for me, he looked a little bit nervous on the ball. I think he was getting in some positions further up the pitch that he probably wasn't as used to. So he was he was actually because he was playing wing back, he was quite high up when he was receiving the ball. So the fullback was standing him up. So then he was sort of faced with the thing that normally a winger would be faced with. It's a bit like what we've said sometimes, haven't we? You know, go right back to like your Brett Emerton's and things like that. Those players sometimes look better at right back than right wing because they're running onto the ball and they're running onto the fullback, whereas they're not faced up. I did feel he got in a few situations where the fullback was able to face him up and say, right, what are you going to do? And he didn't necessarily have an answer to that. But he's a fullback, isn't he? He has played defensive midfield. He's not used to that sort of challenge. And I think that's all it was. Let's be honest as well. The ground was nervous. And I think he picked up a little bit on that. I thought he did okay. I thought he looked solid enough. He looked looked a big lad. He looked like he can get around the pitch. I I thought he did okay. I just think that he's not... His strength isn't necessarily attacking that final third. That's okay. I mean, to be fair, we haven't got many people that can do that anyway. So it's like, <laughs> no. well, I'm not sure what fans on uh, were expecting. Um, I think I think the thing is, is I, I tweeted out and I said, you know, he's a young lad making his debut in a team that's on poor form. And like you say, in a stadium that's absolutely on edge. I thought he did okay. I thought he could show his glimpses. Yeah. I thought he personified... My point that I've I've said pre- in previous pods about if you've got a lad that's big, talented, skillful, has a bit of pace, has something about him, they always move on to the bigger clubs, and that's why we're left with other players that we need to develop. You can tell he's someone there that he, he's on the cusp. I mean, the original question about whether he's going to be as good as Hill, I, I don't know because I thought Hill no. did quite well from the start. But there is something there that I'm quite positive about. I mean, Dan, what what was your initial instinct? I liked him. I completely agree with what Mark said. I think when he again when he played for the 21s, you could when he were allowed to play at left back, then you saw that stride forward. For me, he's just going to be a player that's coming in and needs to be a squad player and add what we didn't necessarily have because Jake Batty weren't really getting involved. He'll add a bit of physicality at times. I think, like Mark said, he'll suit that back three if he has to step into a back room. For me, it were a debut of a lad that looked nervous that he's playing in a team that's rubbish anyway, so I don't know why people... <laughs> we got a point. I was buzzing when I left the ground. I were happy to, <laughs> to not see us lose, but uh, yeah, I liked him. I think and with Pickering being injured time. as well, and Pickering's yeah. now injured. We're going to see him now, aren't we? We're going to have to see him, and this is it, that people are just going to have to let him play his game. He, he's not going to be great every game, because if he was... He, still be at Villa you've just got to realise the situation we're in I think he'll be a decent addition I think we'll probably sit best of him in April though and that'll be the frustrating thing for us that yeah. we'll see the best he, of him when he's settled in he's, he's had a big injury as well hasn't he I think what he will bring yeah. you know he's got he's got some physicality that Hill had he is going to play at left back now you would imagine because I think we'll revert back to a four I think it was just horses for courses at the weekend and what he should be able to do because he's used to playing there anyway is coming into the middle of the park and being the, you know, what Joe Rankin Costello does, or being the third centre half if Rankin Costello plays at right back. So to have that tactical knowledge and be able to do that, that's what we need. And he's given us, which I don't think we can underestimate, an extra player who's <laughs> with some height and, and he's physical and he didn't shirk challenge, and that's what no. we need. No, exactly. I mean, the way I've, I've said, I was talking to a couple of Villa fans today for my sins. 
and said they were asking me about him. And I, and I said to them, I said, the thing is, it's we all work. We've all got jobs. I mean, I'm an IT engineer by trade. I do my job really well. But you can't just suddenly pick me up and drop me in a new company dealing with new systems and me expect to know what I'm doing. You know, it, take, it takes you a while to get used to your new job, even though you are that you are in a job that you should be used to. You've still got to adapt to different things. And this and football's no different. I thought he came on, thought he looked decent. And, yeah, I hope I hope he's going to do, uh, do a good job, especially with these injuries mounting up. So, Dan... Jack asks, how much of a worry is the set pieces going forward and defending, and how much blame is at the feet of the coaching staff for this bad run? It's a bit of a tough question, this. I think it's extremely worrying for me. I think that when you see these lesser teams come to Ewell, with all respect to Rotherham, Huddersfield, etc., lesser teams seem to win the games, not by a moment of quality, by a set piece that goes in and... Rovers are putting themselves. We feel vulnerable from everything now. You get a cor- they get a corner, and you're like, "Oh God!" They get a free kick. You're oh God. They go on the attack. Rovers just. It feels like another, another issue for us to deal with. It worries me a lot that, although we haven't defended set pieces well for about, well, as long as I can remember watching Rovers really. Yeah. In terms of the coaching staff, I think there's definitely some there we mentioned about the. You know, before at least before Saturday, the the reluctance to change setup. They've done that, and we're still naff, which worries me. I feel we we could go on and talk about the blame game for an hour podcast, two hours really, about why we're in this situation. For me, it's a mixture of things, and that includes the coaching staff, because we want to play this way. It's not working, but we're going to stick playing this way. So, not fully blame on them, but there's, they've got to play the part. The coaching, the players every week. I just think, like we said before, the the main issue is a lot deeper than what we see on the pitch. Mark, I mean, I've I've said before that obviously from a defensive side, you know, you need that strong goalkeeper, you need them strong defenders. We know that, but going forward, mm-hmm. I'm getting so frustrated with Adam Wharton. I mean, there was one corner and he's drilled it straight across by the penalty spot. So his angle penalty spot. And it's literally just gone to nowhere. Like it wasn't attacking mm-hmm. the front post, it wasn't mm-hmm. curling back in. And I'm seeing this constantly from Adam Wharton. I mean, what what's what's the is it we need to go and get ourselves a set piece taker? Is that the thing going forward? Or do we just need to coach the guys that we've got and just get them to beat that first man and stick it in the mixer? Taking set pieces is one of my massive, massive bugbears. If when you look at something, and if you look at a Sunday League team, if you could not find one person from a Sunday League team to take a decent set piece, you'd be disappointed because it, it's something that you can practice. It is something that's repeatable. It's something that, as a corner, I, I used to take corners, and I would pretty much be able to put it where they wanted me to put it. I wasn't a professional footballer. So if I can do that, surely one person out of the team can do it. I think there is a bit of blame for the coaching staff because it's the, the blueprint's there to beat us. It's so easy. Come and sit back at Blackburn. They can't break you down. Get them on the counter, play for corners, and you'll score. Blueprint done. But what we are struggling with is Pears coming for that cross at the end of the game was massive for me. He came out for one which sometimes I criticise his 
lack of commitment when he comes out. He kind of half comes and then, oh, oh. But there was one in the first half and he spread himself well and blocked it. And then that one where he came through a crowd, I think he got a, a kick in the uh, knackers for it. But he came out, won the ball. That's big. What we don't have, though, is I never look at our players from either defending or attacking and think they're desperate to win that ball. They're, they're, if yeah. they get a cut on the head, they're not bothered. And that's a criticism of I've had of Sam Gallagher it generally as a striker. I think that's why he doesn't get enough goals because he doesn't, it's not kind of important. It doesn't feel important enough of him to say, do you know what? That's my ball and I'm going to get it. And when, you, when you're when taking set pieces and they're coming in the air, that's what you need. If you think with Pedersen, and this is what I think Wharton needs to do moving forward, is if he's not capable of drilling the ball at pace like Sober Thomas did, which is difficult, and let's be honest, Thomas didn't do it for us that often, and he only did one of them corners at weekend. But if you're not capable of drilling it at pace, then just float it into an area, and just and you know that's going to happen, and then say to the four people who are attacking it, one of you goes and wins that ball. You all do whatever. One runs to the back, one takes this guy, and one of you is going, and you're going to make sure it's your ball. What we have done defended is, last year we used to free Ayala up when he was free, and just say to him, forget everything else, a bit like attacking it. Read the flight of the ball and go and win it. We had two of them at weekend. We had Don Hyam and Gallagher. And they still, great for us, but they still couldn't win the ball. And it comes down to a little bit of desire, I think, for me, that you've got to be single-minded and say, I don't care what's happening. I don't care if I get clattered, like Pairs did. I am going to win that ball. And I think there's a bit of that. I just don't think it... not saying they don't care enough, but it doesn't feel like they're willing to put their head where it hurts sometimes. I think that's, I mean, that's not just set pieces, is it? That's that's from that's, minute one yeah. to the final whistle, isn't it? The, the the desire to win, the, you know, have, I mean, normally you've got a couple of brutes on the team, like a, a Chris Samba that just does not give a shit about their body. You know, they are going to, they are going to yeah. put themselves about and we haven't got enough of them players. Um, I mean, back in the day, you know, you used to, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, you needed a couple of brute uh, central defenders. You went up to Scotland and got them, you know, and mm. that that was just the way you did it. And yeah. the, the game's changed. But, yeah, I mean, I, I for me, the, the cardinal sin of football is not beating the first man. We know that. Mm-hmm. But like, I completely agree. Just give them a chance. Stick it in the box. You never know what's going to happen. It could flick off someone's ass and go in the bottom corner. You just don't know, but you've got to give yourself a chance. But considering at the moment, every defensive corner we think we're going to concede and every attacking corner we know we're not going to do anything, it's like there's just no point in having set pieces. So, I mean, I, I was saying that we didn't seem to shoot from outside the area and then suddenly we had two shots from outside the area. But <laughs> it's, yeah, it, it's, it's frustrating. But So we've got one last question, and it's a bit of a quick one for all of us. So Chris asks, with everything going on at the club, what are the positives to look at? I think we need it. So I'm going to say the positives of the club at the moment is the way we play. I think if you get the right players, this is a uh, this is the kind of football that can get you into the Premier League and stay in the Premier League. Uh, the fact that, like you two guys have said, the, that we play that from top to bottom. So mm-hmm. you've got uh, all the players coming through uh, are playing the same way. And the fact that we have actually got players coming through the academy that seem to be players that can add to the squad. So I think for me, the positives are the way we're playing 
and the youth side. So, Dan, what what would if you was to sell the club positively to someone, what would you say is our positives at the moment? Dig deep. How long? How long do you have? <laughs> They even ran out of pie mash peas and gravy the other day, and that's how that's how bad it's got at the moment. Uh, <laughs> it's got to be the academy. I think that's the only thing we can pick out of this club and say, if you do it right, you've got a 15, 20 million player coming off the conveyor belt every few years. It's self-funding itself. Is that the only thing at the moment? I'd struggle to sell it. I won't convince myself it were good. Uh, we'll go for the academy and the fact that there's still them bright talents coming through and there seems to be, you know, from Finneran and and further down. Mark? Well, I'll be honest, at at weekend, there was a couple of points where I was looking around trying to find something that would cheer me up and I thought the pitch looked really well. The stitching of the pitch has made a world of difference. (laughs) Um, Although, and I'm I'm trying to stay positive, somebody did say to me, We've got the best pitch we've had in ages. We play passing football and we're getting the worst home results. Is it a coincidence? And I thought, oh, so that might be one that we want to discuss. But what I would say is I think there's value in the squad. I talked about it last week, so I'll not overly go into it. But when Mowbray left, we lost Lenaham, we lost Nyambi, we lost Rothwell. There was only Brereton that was any value. And I think we've now got... Adam Wharton, who could potentially, potentially, he's not yet, but be worth 15, 20 million. I think you've got Hayden Carter that you'd be unlucky if you didn't get between 5 and 10 million for. And then there are other players. We've got Finneran coming through. It, it takes, you know, if, if Volstead does turn out to be a good keeper, he's got all the attributes to be then later down the line. But you've got them coming through, haven't you, that you think, Mm, yeah, do you know what? There's some value here in the academy, but there's some value in the first team at the moment, whether it feels like it or not. I think I would uh, attribute that to probably Greg Broughton. Yeah. Personally. So, yeah. no, that's great. So, yeah, that's uh, that's the mailbag. And, mate, we're straight back to you with a quiz. Let's go. Here we go. And we've got a generic football quiz. This is... Uh, I'm not sure there's any Blackburn questions in here. We're just going to go for generic Good. football, I think. I think that's what we need at the moment, is just to love football. Yeah. I'd have been happy nice with a, gene- a generic football pod today, to be honest, and not talk about <laughs> Rovers. Oh, God. <coughs> so, right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go for the buzzer. Th- uh, so I need to know Dan's buzzer. Hmm. Some height. Oh, there we go. And Mark? Uh, just based on our defending and Disney at the minute, I'm going to go Bambi. There we go. Okay, so we've got 20 questions. I have got a tie-break question at the end. Not been so needed. Let me get the scoreboard ready. Okay, so question number one. The Scudetto is the name given to the league title in Bambi. which European country? Well, Mark? Italy. It is Italy. There we go. That was an easy. Some of these are quite easy. Some are a little bit harder. But I thought after okay. the week that we've had, we're going to go for easy questions to make us feel Thank good you. about it. Thank you, Mark. Okay. I appreciate it. Hearts and Hibs both play their home Some games heart. in which Scottish city? Uh, Dan? Edinburgh. It is Edinburgh. Well done. There we go. Red Bull own a football club in which Austrian Bambi. city? Mark? Salzburg. It is Salzburg. 
Oh, wonderful place. Which nation won UEFA Euro 1992 despite not in this? Denmark. Oh, Mark. Denmark. It was Denmark. Do you remember why? They, uh, they... Because was it Yugoslavia weren't allowed in and they. It was. Yeah. It was. Yeah. So for that, I'm going to give Dan a bonus point. No, I'm only joking. Okay, so next question. Which two teams play in the Barcelona derby? Somehow. Dan. Barcelona and Espanyol. Yeah, correct. See, Very these good. are easy boys. See, I'm being nice like to you this week. I like them. Which footballer has won the Premier League with both Leicester City and Manchester City? Somehow. Dan. Danny Simpson? No. No. Riyad Mahrez, sure. It was On Manchester City. I heard Man United in my head. (laughs) So you just wanted to to, uh, get your your buzzer out there quick. I've seen your tactic before. Okay, my point goes to Mark. Okay, slightly more difficult. Which former FIFA World Player of the Year became president of his home country in 2018? Dan. George Weyer? It was George Weyer. Yeah. Tell you what, you're doing well here, boys. Which player had 13 years between his two Champions League wins in 95 and 2008? Sam Hart. Oh, Dan. You can't do these tactics, mate. It's disgraceful, this. I might take a point off him for this. Oh, I don't know. I would. Mark, do you have an idea? Maldini. It was Edwin van der Sar. Oh, I knew it was ninety-five. Yeah. And I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say, Dan, that this is your first warning. That's a yellow card for this. It was absolutely disgraceful. I was thinking the ninety-nine. Come on. Okay. Who was the first striker to score 100 Premier League goals for two different clubs? Bambi. Mark? Got to be Shearer. It was Alan Shearer. Here we go. Had a nice half-and-half shirt presented to him, didn't it, Old Trafford? Okay. How many times has England won the UEFA Women's Championship? Sam Hart. Dan? Want? It was once. Had to get a women's football question in there yeah, for you. Abs- if you didn't know it, I was just pulling Twitter up. I was just going to ask Joey Barton see if he could help me on that one. <laughs> in which year was the first UEFA European Championship held? Sam Hart. Go on, Dan. 1960. It was 1960, and he equalises. I mean, how does he know that? Nobody knows. I can tell you how I went off, but... Go on. It's what it's why they held it everywhere in the 2021, or they were meant to hold it everywhere in 2020. Uh, yeah, because yeah, it was the 60-year anniversary. That was the excuse they used, was it? Right, okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> other than that, fair enough. Right, so you both equal on five each. The Brazilian legend Romario played five seasons for which Dutch club before moving to Barcelona? Somehow. Um, Dan? PSV? It was PSV. Yeah. Yap Stam 
managed which English club? Sam Hart. Bambi. Dan? Reading. It was Reading. Mm. It did all right, to be fair, didn't it, in this first season? Yeah, we got playoffs, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, he did all right. Huddersfield, weren't it? When they went up. Mm. Yeah. Didn't they like not get a shot on target and still went up? Or something like that. They didn't have a shot. Something like that. Okay. Which football club in 1993 became the first to win the FA Cup and League Cup in the same season? Bambi. Mark. Is that... Is it uh, Arsenal? It was Arsenal. Is that when... Uh, I think it, 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 it did his arm, didn't he, and Mauro when they threw fell, him Fell over. They, they yeah, beat Sheffield. Uh, do you know where my brain went then? I was thinking, Sheffield Wednesday in the final because they beat us. And then I was like, no, 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 they lost to Arsenal. Yeah. There we go. What is Juventus's nickname? Somehow. Bambi. Dan. The old lady. It is the old lady. It is. In what football league does the Beckham rule apply? Somehow. Dan, go on. MLS. It is the MLS. See, just beating Mark just by a split second. I feel it like is. you're doing it and, you know, you're it, not quite ready. And didn't, the Beckham, didn't the Beckham uh, tax rule recently get revoked as well? Was that in Italy, I want to say? Got revoked, I think, recently. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, they run about oh. somebody travelling over there from some bang average footballer was supposed to, Premier League was supposed to be going over there and they said, oh, they can't afford him now because of his... Um, because the tax, they're not getting tax relief anymore. You used to get it for uh, the first six years or whatever you're in the country. It might have been spare. It'd be spare money, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fair play. Who is the most capped England player with 125 Some appearances? Are. Go on, Dan. Peter Shilton. It is Peter Shilton. Yeah. Okay. Who scored the, t- the first ever goal in the Premier League? Bambi. Somehow. Mark. Brian Dean. It was Brian Dean. Okay, which EFL team plays their home games at the Wham Stadium? Sambi. Aquistan. Oh, <laughs> it is Aquistan. <laughs> Sorry, Mark, I'm trying here, mate. Sorry, I'm What country did Weezybo play international football for? Sam Hart. Go on, Dan. Portugal. It was Portugal. Is that? Do you only know that because of like EAFC or something? You got like a special. No, player, I thought like... you meant. Did you mean Eusebio? That's the one. What did I say? That's a... You say it's a wheezy ball or something. That's yeah, a wheezy ball. ball. Just Eusebio. guessed it off that. I guessed <laughs> it off that. I was like, <laughs> well, I know. I was like, wheezy. <laughs> to be honest, that was pretty bad. I've actually seen. I've actually seen Eusebio as well. <laughs> Uh, of uh, him and Pele oh. were at an international in America, and uh, I watched um, Brazil versus Portugal play, and they both came on. But they they called him Eusebio then, not Weezybo. Uh, you know what uh, I said, Weezybo? I I used to call him Weezybo as a kid, and I think I've never. Well, it's just imprinted now. <laughs> He's going to be my buzzer for the next one. Weezy okay, ball. which I'm going to... Right, so I'm going to give you the tiebreak question just because we've got a tiebreak question. Which Argentinian club did Lionel Messi play for as a Somehow. youth? Come on. 
Newell's old boys. There we go. You get a nice extra point there, Dan. Um, yeah, it was. I'm afraid it was Mark. You got seven points, and Dan, you got thirteen. Wheezy Bo would have been very proud of you. Well, Wheezy oh, Wheezy Bo. I saw your face, and I'm like, that what? That's what made me stop. I'm like, are we on about the same player? Well, so when you said, I was like. When you answered it, I was like, well, I've never heard of Wheezy Ball. How have you pulled that out of the bag? Well done. No. My mom, I, I swear, I swear <laughs> it's from my mom. So my mom couldn't say two guy. It was always two gay. And she couldn't even say grabby. It was G-Rabbi. Because G-Rabbi. When, it was, when it was first announced, <laughs> it was G. Oh. And then, obviously, Rabbi. But there was a Rabbi. space where she'd read it. So she thought it was G-Rabbi, and then it was in her head it was G-Rabbi. So she so, thought yeah. we'd signed a rabbi. Brilliant. I mean, yeah. we could do it one now. <laughs> we all do all the divine intervention. We couldn't do much worse, could we? Uh, that's where we'll round off for this week. Thank you to everyone for watching, whether you're Wheezy Bo or Garabai or whatever else. Uh, thank oh, you for sure Wheezy Bo's watching. Uh, well, no, probably not. But, uh, <laughs> Mark, thank you for joining us and for hosting the quiz. Cheers, mate. Nice one. And Mike, thank you, a pleasure as always. No problem. I'm a little bit disappointed with you two. I had a lot more of my Disney puns. Uh, you know, I had I'd gone all the way about we wouldn't go up if we got relegated. I had we need we could do a Tarzan from set pieces. It's going to be Beauty or the Beast at the weekend. Um, yeah, I'd, I had loads. You know, we're not brave enough. We could do with someone from The Incredibles. We need to grow up, unlike Peter Pan. Uh, do a lot, and you've let yourselves down, boys. Really. If if I was in a more positive mood about Rover, that's the I problem. Would have joined you in on it, but I would have been on them. We miserable. were ready for these a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. I'll yeah, be honest. Thank you. I'm only going on Monday just in case Ryan Reynolds is there, Reynolds not for him. There. Just in case he brings his bird. I'm sure she doesn't appreciate being called Ryan Reynolds's bird, but you know, oh, Mark, if, if she comes up, put a word in for you. Well, if she, can come, if she could come on the pod, that'd be that'd be nice. Thanks. <laughs> aim, aim for the stars, boys. Aim for the stars. I don't think we'd be ending the pod like this today, but that's where we'll finish. Thank you again <laughs> for everyone for watching. Leave a flash star rating wherever you're watching. Hopefully, we'll give you a bit of a bit of comfort away from the ups and oh, that, well, the downs that are Blackburn Rovers. We'll wait and see until next time. Thank you for watching. We'll have all the coverage from the Wrexham game coming on the channel and then in next week's podcast, which we'll announce when that will be recorded, uh, we'll discuss everything that's gone on. We'll head to the upcoming games and everything else. But until next time, thank you for watching and we'll see you soon.